0: Exodus chapter 8, of course, just the second book in the Bible, it should be pretty easy to find, if you're, even if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. Exodus chapter 8, we're just going to read one verse here, that is the first verse, and then we'll get into the message. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1, and the Lord spake unto Moses, go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for all you've done in our lives. Lord, thank you for the beautiful songs we have sung and heard sung. Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, that, that you be with us uh, preaching now. Lord, I pray that I say only what you would have me to say. Lord, I pray that you be glorified through this hour, both in in the preaching of your word and also the receiving of it. Uh, Lord, again, I pray that there's anyone in here who has never accepted you as their Savior, Lord, that today be the day of salvation for them, Lord. That they repent of anything they might have been trusting in, and they turn and put their faith and trust completely in the work of Jesus Christ, Lord, in you. And uh, Lord, bless uh, as only you can in this service today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, this... uh, this this verse here contains a a command or a uh, exhortation, if you will, almost to Pharaoh, but definitely command. Let my people go that they may serve me. A very famous command. Here is uh, we're all pretty familiar with the, the let my people go. Uh, a great, uh, great uh, a phrase that is very uh, that is really made. To stand up in front of somebody and just, just power it out. Just go ahead and proclaim it uh, with a loud voice, as I'm sure Moses did to Pharaoh. I don't think he said it in a, in a whisper. I think it definitely had some, some oomph behind it. Uh, but the, the second part of the phrase is what this message will be focusing on. The reason that, is, that Israel was supposed to be set free is that they can serve Jehovah God. Let my people go that they may serve me. Again, if you, if you are familiar with this portion of the Bible, for the previous few hundred years, Israel had been serving Egypt. They had been, um, of course, they moved there under, under Joseph and, and lived there, and they began to prosper, and then Egypt put them under bondage, put them into slavery, and they'd been living the last few hundred years under slavery or in slavery. But that time was now over. It was time for God's people to serve God, rather than serve Egypt. Now in the Exodus, as Israel comes out of Egypt, uh, we, we recognize that it is a great picture of salvation. That the power of the previous master has been broken, and the slave is set free from his bondage. Again, Israel from Egypt, and we look at our salvation We have been set free from the bondage of sin, the power of sin, and now we are freed to serve God. We have been saved to serve. We have not been saved merely to escape hell. We have been saved for a purpose. The Bible is clear. Numerous verses um, tell us that. Not only this verse here. Let's turn to the book of Titus. There in the New Testament. Titus chapter 2. Just one of the many verses we could go to that point to, we are saved to serve God. Titus chapter 2, and we'll read verse 14. Titus 2 verse 14, who gave himself for us, of course talking about Jesus Christ, gave himself for us, That he might redeem us from all iniquity, obviously salvation, purify unto himself a peculiar people, a set-apart people, zealous of good works. God saved us, set us apart, so that we may serve him. Zealous of good works, eager to work for God, eager, eager to serve our God. Those of us who have been saved have been brought out of bondage. The power of our master was broken at the cross. But are we fulfilling the reason? And that reason, of course, is to serve God. We are saved to serve. So what we're going to look at today is the results or the effects of failing to serve God, as well as how to fulfill our service for God. And we'll close very quickly with some the fields of service. Some different areas that we can serve God in. But first of all, we'll look at the failure to serve. And to recognize the importance of that. If if we're not active in our service to God, if we are not serving God, we will never be pleasing to Him. Because we were saved, we were set free from bondage to serve. And if we do not fulfill that, we are not pleasing to our God. But I must make an important distinction here. Activity... Is not a substitute, nor does it ensure that we have a walk with God. Just because you are serving doesn't mean you are saved. Just because you are serving does not mean you are pleasing to God. Uh, the book of Micah talks about that in uh, Micah chapter 6, where he talks about how shall I come before God? And he gives, like, shall I offer up some sacrifices. But then he says, Thou hast told us, o man, uh, uh, I, we have to- I have told thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of thee? but to do justly, to walk humbly, uh, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. So just because you are offering sacrifices, just because you are serving God, does not mean that your walk with God is strong, or even if you have a walk with God, period. We have many people, the book of Matthew talks about in chapter 7, who will stand before God and say, we cast out devils, we preached your name. But they were lost. And they will be cast into hell. So just because service is present does not, ensure that, does not mean that their walk with God is present as well. However, a walk with God will always be accompanied by service for God, by good works. Let's look at the book of James, chapter 2. If you're still in Titus, a few, few books over. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. James, chapter 2. Verse eighteen yea a man may say thou hast faith and I have works shew me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works of course James chapter two is a often misinterpreted chapter, and people try to use it to justify the false doctrine that you must work in order to gain salvation, in order to earn salvation. And James is not dealing with being justified before God. He is dealing with showing your salvation to others, proving that you are saved to those around you. Verse 17, even so faith that hath not works is dead, being alone. If you say you are saved and there is nothing in your life that would point to a desire for God, then your faith is dead most likely you are not saved. And James here says, I'm going to show you my faith. I'm going to prove my salvation to you by my works. So a walk with God will always be accompanied by works, by a service for God. So we're going to look now at three areas that can either be a cause or a result of not serving God. So when we fail to serve... What is that going to result in? Let's turn to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Pretty familiar passage of Scripture to us. This is when the twelve spies have gone into the promised land. And they have came back and said, We can't enter the land, the people that are too strong will never will never make it, we'll will die, and we'll be basically put back into bondage again by another people this time. But Numbers chapter fourteen gives us the result of not serving God. Numbers 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey, were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. So when we are not serving God, when we are not moving forward in our walk with God and serving Him and fulfilling His commands, Egypt will become alluring. Egypt will be an enticement to us. We have here the the nation of Israel, after the spies report, saying, Well, we can't do this, we might as well turn back and go to Egypt. And if we deem God's service too hard, or it's too demanding to serve God, we'll start looking for an easier option. And Satan will always make sure an easier option is there, is available for us. So let's return to Egypt. Think of how ludicrous this is. In Egypt, they were slaves. They were beaten mercilessly. They were commanded to meet quotas, building quotas, while being Stripped of the material necessary to meet those quotas. None of us like to perform a job and then given all, given, or taken away all the ability to perform that job. That's what was going on with Israel. Pharaoh had demanded their newborn boys be murdered. If you had a boy, you kill it. This is the Egypt they're looking to return to. Uh, ludicrous, shocking to us. And they say, that is better than us following God. Than us serving God and going into the promised land. Going back into that kind of a bondage is better for us than to serve God. Ludicrous when we look at it thousands of years later looking back at the nation of Israel. However, we fall into the same trap. God has before us something good. The promised land was something great to look forward to, to enter. And yes, there was going to be some battles, but God was going to provide and was going to give the strength needed to win those battles. So when we're faced with this choice, serving God, it's going to be hard. It's going to be demanding. Yes, we're going to have to deny ourselves, But it is far better than turning to anything else. But if we don't have that mindset, if we don't say, I'm going to serve God, well, if we fail to serve, Egypt will start to become alluring to us. Now look, here's a, here's a path. It's pretty easy. It's an easy path to go down. We'll just go back there. All our food is met. It's an easy path. Egypt will be alluring when we fail to serve, and we'll fall right back into bondage. Bondage to sin. Yes, we may be saved We may not be destined for hell anymore, but we still fall back into bondage when Egypt starts to allure us and we go that route. In line with that, when we fail to serve, we will also begin to make our own gods. Let's turn to the book of Amos, a little bit more difficult to find in the minor prophets here. Amos chapter 5, we'll read a few verses here. When we fail to serve God, we will serve another God. We're going to serve a God one way or the other. It may be a God of our own creation, or we can choose to serve the God of the universe, the creator of all. Amos chapter 5, verse 25, starting there. Dealing with the same generation that came out of Egypt. Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of Moloch, and and Chayun, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Of course, Amos was speaking to the nation of Israel um, hundreds of years later, but he's referencing the generation that came out of Egypt and said, they offered sacrifices and offerings to God while they were carrying their own gods in their heart. You've offered sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, but you, were, you bore the, the tabernacle of Moloch and Chayun. We will serve a God. Again, maybe a God of our creation, serving the world, some gods that they have, money, fame, pleasure, but we will serve something And it's going to be far greater, far better for us to serve Jehovah God. Again, Israel was physically sacrificing to Jehovah. They were offering those sacrifices, but they were not serving God. They had another God in place in their private life. Again, we will either serve God, or we will make something else the God of our life. If we fail to serve God, we will serve another God who is far less good far less forgiving. Look at the people who have served drugs. Drugs was their God. Is that a good God? Is that a forgiving God? No. It it takes them and it ruins their life. It destroys everything that they had. Tosses them into the gutter. Moves on to the next one. It's not a good God to serve. Money. Same thing. Just want more money. More money. More money. More money. Live a miserable life. Go through three, four, five marriages. Because they're serving money. No God is like our God. If we fail to serve, Egypt will be alluring. We'll serve another God, we'll make other gods. And lastly here, if we fail to serve, our life will be empty. 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. We we'll read verses twenty and twenty-one. For Samuel twelve, verse twenty. And Samuel said unto the people, "Fear not; ye have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside." For then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. Again, the different gods that we might establish in our life, they will never fulfill our life. They will never bring purpose or true meaning to our life. The book of Isaiah talks about how you have these men who would make gods. They take a stone or they take some wood and they fashion it to the idea of what they want their god to look like. And then they bow down and worship it and ask it to do something for them. It's stupid. It's vain. It's empty. But do we do that? Do we bow down to the God of hunting? I've got to get out there and hunt, or else my family's not going to have meat for the winter or for the rest of the year. Oh, excuse me, I didn't know God couldn't meet your need for meat. I didn't know that you had to skip church and and go on these long expeditions away from your family to meet that need. And that's just one example. Obviously, we have these other gods that we put in place that are empty. They're vain. It It doesn't accomplish much in the grand scheme of things. Will it put food on the table? Sure. Will money meet some needs? Sure. But it will not bring true meaning to your life. And you could be casting aside something that would give your life meaning and purpose. Samuel told the Israelites here that to not turn aside, don't go after these vain things, for they cannot profit nor deliver. They cannot help you at all. They can't deliver you. The God of money cannot deliver you. When you lose your children, cannot help you. Solomon dedicated an entire book to make this exact point, that life is empty, it is vain, outside of God, outside of serving and following God. Life will be pointless. It is a pointless existence. It is a vain existence. This word vain that is used, is uh, the Hebrew word of it, is also the word that we see in Genesis chapter 1, when the Bible says that the earth was without form and void. When God first created the world... There was no mountains. There was nothing in it. It was empty. It was void. It was vain. The same idea here when we serve other things. They are vain. There's empty. There's nothing there. And we still follow it like a a donkey with a carrot on a stick. Just keep trying to catch it. You'll never catch it. It is vain. It is empty. It will not profit you. It will not deliver you from life's trials. But we still go after it but life will be empty. What is the purpose of a Christian? To serve God, to glorify God. Just like the purpose of a hammer is to pound in nails or to take nails out. If a hammer is not being used, its existence is pointless. If a Christian is not being used for its for the purpose, if we are not fulfilling our purpose to serve God, our existence is pointless. It's empty. Again, if we are not employed in the service of God, our our lives have no meaning. We'll lead a fruitless life and have to stand before God with nothing to show for everything that He gave us, for the life that He gave us. Because we followed other gods. We did not serve our God. Let my people go that they may serve me. You have been saved. You have a purpose to serve God. Any other thing we might choose to serve will lead to an empty, a vain life. So fulfillment of service to God. How do we avoid this empty life uh, where bondage seems alluring to us? As Samuel said there, here in 1 Samuel 12, serve the Lord with all your heart and turn not aside. How do we fulfill this life? First of all, we must trust in God. Numbers 14 back there. Turn back to Numbers chapter fourteen. We saw the nation of Israel's response to the spies' report, and we'll look at a few spy, two of the spies and their response to it all. Numbers chapter fourteen. We'll read verses six through nine. says, And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us, for their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Caleb and Joshua had a great trust in God. Going to the point and say, you see all those, those giants over there? See those great walled cities? They don't have any kind of defense. It's gone. The nation would look at them and say, well, they're still huge. They're still massive. Caleb and Joshua said, no, their defense is gone. They are bread for us. Conquering them will be just as easy as picking up a piece of bread and eating it. Just... Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Just a piece of cake for us. A trust in God. How do we fulfill service? It has to start here. With a faith in God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If we don't believe that the reward is worth the effort, then we will not serve God. If we don't trust that God will give us that exceeding great reward, then we won't serve Him. But God is, God is good. Any reward He can give us is far greater than what the world could offer. What a, what a horrible view of God we have sometimes. We sit back and we wonder, if I do this service for God, is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be worth my while to get up and to go tell others about God? Is it going to be worth my while to get involved in this ministry? Maybe helping in the nursery or helping usher so that others can better sit in here and hear the word of God without distraction. We sit there and ponder if it's worth the while. Let me remind you of the God we serve. I brought it in its illustration. I kinda of used this illustration a little bit in with the kids' camps. We have some rocks here. Let's turn to Psalm eight. Psalm chapter eight. to remind you of the God that has commanded our service. Psalm 8 verses 3 and 4 is what we'll read. It says, "When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him." David here is saying, "When I sit down, dark night, and I look out into the sky, and I see the stars, I see the moon, the heavens, everything that's contained in there, start to wonder, what is man? Why do you even bother with man? So for the purpose of this illustration, let's say, I'm going to bring these rocks in a little bit closer to me here. Let's say these are planets. And this podium up here, or this platform up here, is the Milky Way galaxy. Now, in the Milky Way galaxy, if you were on one end of the galaxy, you would not be able to see. If you're standing on this podium and you see, you can see the rocks. But in the Milky Way, so what I'm saying is this is not scale. Okay, this is not built to scale at all. Um, I didn't carefully measure this all out. But let's say Earth is a pretty small planet, right? Let's make like this planet Earth. You have Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, whatever whatever planets you want to assign to these rocks. But let's make like this one Earth. Okay, if this is the size of Earth. Would you be able to find you on it? No. I mean, we're tiny compared to Earth. Who made the Milky Way galaxy? God. But we know there's other galaxies out there, so let's assign a galaxy. Let's say this, this over here is a galaxy, this one's another galaxy, this one's another galaxy, the foyer's a galaxy... Does anybody have an idea how many galaxies that we know of in the universe today? Over 100 billion galaxies. And they expect to see more once, uh, I think they actually already got the telescope up. But 100 billion galaxies were discovered, I believe it's using the Hubble telescope, and now they've got a, a more powerful one up, so they're expecting the estimates of over 200 billion galaxies. Okay, who created the galaxies? God. If God has the power to create a hundred billion galaxies and in it all the different planets, stars, earth, us. And we sit back and say, I wonder if serving God, a God that powerful, is really worth my while. Do you think he can meet your needs? I think so. And get this, he even wants to meet our needs. Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things Amen. which thou knowest not. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the God who has commanded us to serve him. And we dare to debate in our little puny minds, is it worth our while? This God not only created you, not only can meet all your needs, not only wants to have a relationship with you, he deigned to become a man and live on this little speck in his universe. And he deigned to die for you. To shed his blood for you so that you can be redeemed back to the Father. You can have that relationship with God restored Trust in God, how can we not? How can we not trust in this God? And again, we, we we because we're just flesh, we just have these eyes that can only see so far. Our perspective is so limited. But what an affront to God to say, I don't know if it's worth my while to trust you, to serve you. Don't forget who is commanding the service. It's not the pastor though god may use him and does use him but it is god commanding the service the god that made the planets the fastest of the universe just amazing there can be no doubt that serving god will be exponentially more profitable for us than anything else we could choose to serve don't forget which god is commanding the service, the creator. His goodness is limitless. His great love was demonstrated when he died for us. And now he says, your life is mine. I bought you with my own blood. Now serve me. Trust in God. How do we fulfill service? We must start with a trust in God. Second thing is to lift up our eyes. The reason, again, we question whether serving God is worth it is because we value the temporal more than the eternal. We value the things of man more than the things of God. And a temporal mindset will never lead to a life that is full of service to God. There will always be limitations placed on the areas of service or the amounts of service. Or again, we'll have that idea, that motive of what's in it for me. If we're going to serve God and fulfill this command to serve God, we must lift up our eyes and we'll look at two different areas. First of all, we need to look on the fields. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. John chapter 4. <clears throat> One of the things that hinders us the most in serving God is because our eyes are focused on ourselves. If we can lift up our eyes off of ourselves, it will help us greatly in our service for God. We need to lift up our eyes and look on the fields. John 4.35 Jesus speaking here, he says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. This is the conclusion of the passage dealing with the uh, woman at the well, the Samaritan woman of course, if you're familiar with it, if you're not familiar with it, I'll give you a short summary. Jesus and his disciples are in Samaria, a a region uh, that was hated by the Jews. They hated to be in Samaria. But anyway, they're in this area, and so the disciples go into the city to buy bread. Jesus is sitting in a well um, outside the city. A Samaritan woman comes comes up, and she's going to draw water, and Jesus asks her to give him some water. And they get into a discussion. She ends up getting saved. Um... And then goes into the city to tell others about Jesus. Of course, again, the right reaction when you are saved, you should tell others about what God has done for you. So she goes into the city. And as she's going into the city, <clears throat> the disciples had come out of the city. and uh... Actually, sorry, they had come out before she left. They had come out of the city and were, and were sitting there. And watching Christ talk with the Samaritan woman. And so then they try to get him to eat, and he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And, and then he says, look, you, you have this, this mindset of areas of service. I'm going to serve God at this time. The harvest is not yet. There's still time. To, there's to That's a while later. I'm going to serve God when I come to church. I'm going to serve God at a set time when it's time for that to take place. The harvest has a set time that it takes place. And Jesus said, don't don't do that. Lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. The service of God is right before us. We can serve God now if we would only lift up our eyes. Again, it's very possible the disciples passed this woman when she was coming out to the well and they were going in to buy bread. Very possible they passed each other. They wouldn't have talked. Um, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. But Jesus did not say, I'm not going to talk to this woman about her eternal destination. Uh, I'm hungry. And I need, a, I need to eat lunch first. We're going to be leaving here pretty soon and go to lunch. And some of us, you know, some, some go to restaurants. You know, pass somebody on the road with a flat tire. and Say, well, I would help them, but I need to have lunch. I need to go eat lunch. We place such limitations or, on, on our service for God. But lift up, our get our eyes off of ourselves. Look on the field. The service for God is right there in front of us. If only we would lift up our eyes and look around us. To serve God, we must, at times, almost all the time, prioritize others over our own needs and desires. That's what Jesus did here. He prioritized the woman over his own needs. He could have stopped the conversation midstream and said, oh, the disciples got back. Uh, I'll talk to you after I eat lunch. We'll continue this discussion. Well, that's not what he did. He continued the discussion. And they ended up getting saved. Again, we must prioritize others. God will not say when we stand before him, you would have more rewards. I would have helped you out more on the earth, but you were just too interested in helping other people. So I, I kind of limited your rewards because you helped others too much. Uh, That's not going to happen. But we will lose rewards because we refuse to help others. Or we had our eyes focused on ourselves. How many of us are going to stand before God and God's going to say, you would have more rewards, but you were too focused on yourself. You wouldn't get your eyes off of yourself. I'd be guilty of that. I'm sure most of us, if not all of us in here, would. Lift up your eyes. If you're going to serve God, fulfill your service to God, you must lift up your eyes, look on the fields. Look at the lost that are all around us that need Christ. Lift up your eyes, look on the fields, but also lift up your eyes and look above. Colossians chapter 3. Let's turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we'll read the first two verses. If ye then be risen with Christ, if you are saved, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We see people's affection. People sometimes prominently display their affections. You see them bumper sticker, you know Kansas City Chiefs or uh, you know New York Yankees or New York Rangers, you see their affections displayed they put them on their cars sometimes. shirts. People display their affections of the worldly things quite often. Do we display our affection for heavenly things? Well, I would go to that game, but man, that, uh, we have a soul winning time That's our church's soul winning time. So I'm going to be there. I would go to that party, but... The Bible says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. And there's going to be alcohol flowing at that work party, so I'm, I'm going to... I'll go ahead and skip that. That would be one way to show your affection for heavenly things, rather than things of the earth. So if we have been risen with Christ, if we have been saved from bondage then we are to seek, we are to look for those things that are above. Now, this takes some effort. How do we consider those things that are above? How do we seek those things? We have to first think about what are things that are above. We know, we intrinsically know what's of value here on this earth. You know, a child knows, okay, money, money's good. Money has value. Child knows, oh, candy is good. Food is good. Food has value. Warmth has value. Clothes have value. We, int- we, we know instinctively what has value here on this earth. Do we know what is valued in heaven? We have to stop and consider that because that's not part of the natural man, that is the spiritual man. And that takes more effort to learn what is of value in heaven. But if we are to seek the things which are above, we must know what things we are to seek. And that, again, takes some effort. It takes some getting alone with God saying, Lord, what do you value? What do you want me to seek after? And God will show you. Well, you need to, you need to seek after a, a faithful commitment to church services. I'm going to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's something that is from above. And that's something to seek after. I'm going to seek a... Here's here's something else that is of value to God is, is when we set time apart in our day for Him. I'm going to spend some time and talk with my God. We do this with our spouse. We know it is important, it is of value to talk with our spouse. So... We set apart those times, whether it be just a daily thing or we set apart special times. Let's have a Friday night date night. We're going to set apart a time for our spouse to communicate, uh, to get a better relationship with our spouse. That's what God values too. Set apart some time for me is what he is saying. That is a value to God. We must learn what is valued in heaven in order to seek those things better. And in order to learn that, again, we have to spend time with God, in His Word, in prayer, under the preaching of the Word of God. And God will start to show you things. Here are some heavenly things that I value that you should seek after. But we'll never do that if our eyes are on ourselves. If we have not lifted up our eyes to look on things above. So to fulfill service, we have to trust in God, have that faith in God. Remembering again how minute we really are, and how incredible and indescribable our God is. And then we look, lift up our eyes, look on the fields, look above, and as we close here, some fields of service. Where can we serve God? An easy answer is just anywhere, any, everywhere. Everywhere we can serve God. But we'll, we'll give a little bit more specific answer. Again, this is outside of our personal walk with God. Um, If you're going to be able to serve God with any effectiveness, you're going to have to have a strong walk with God first. You're going to have to have that in place first. But God has given us many areas of service. Some of them are unique to us. You guys can reach people, I cannot. I can reach people, I can do things, you guys can do things, we can all do things that are unique to us. That God has given to us a unique area of service. And he expects us to fulfill that. But there are things that are more generic, that every Christian should take part in. And there's a few of them that are outlined in Scripture. One of them is church. I'm going to put it in a general way, in general sense, church ministries. Um, in Romans chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, I'll read a few verses here out of Romans 12. But it outlines some of them. Uh, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, he that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Just a few there, you see some more that are given in 1 Corinthians as well, but some different areas... That God has particularly gifted each of us in, but the church needs them all in order to grow, in order to grow closer to God. The church needs these different areas, these different ministries. We have ministries in our church. We have the bus ministry, we have nursery, we have ushering. Um, We have different areas that God has provided to us to be able to serve Him in. Are we fulfilling that service? Are we going out into that field? Again, every Christian is expected to do his part in the church. In 1 Corinthians, it gives the example of a body. And if you have the eye, if if everybody was an eye, you wouldn't be able to go anywhere. If everybody was an ear, you wouldn't be able to see anything. We all are expected to take part. You need feet and hands and arms and legs and a body and just everything. We all are expected to take part. To help exhort the church. And again, we have church ministries for that, and, and some of it is just showing up and encouraging each other. Just by our presence, sometimes can be an encouragement to others. Another area of service, another field of service is prayer. And this one is part of your walk with God, but it is also an area of service as we lift up others in prayer, intercessory prayer. Um, Second Timothy chapter two touches, on, or sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2 touches on that. Another area of service is evangelism. Going out and witnessing to others. This is something every one of us... These four areas that I'm going to touch on are something that every one of us are expected by God to fulfill these areas of service. Evangelism. Going out and telling others what Christ did for you, how he freed you from bondage. And, and fourthly, uh, this one's... I'm going to put workplace out there. I, know, I understand some of us don't go to a workplace, but... Um, That can also be a mother at home. That's an area of service God expects you to serve him in. um, And to seek those things which are above in that area. Um, Acts chapter 18, Paul was a tent maker. And so he joined up with Priscilla and Aquila, who were also tent makers. And soon after that, you see them in the church. They helped found the church of Corinth. There's no doubt in my mind that he witnessed to them as they were sitting there making tents. The Bible says that he joined himself to them because they were of the same craft. So the workplace is a great area to serve God in. Just four areas, four fields of service. There are many others that you could list. Church ministries, prayer, evangelism, workplace. Seek those things which are above, and God will show you what field he wants you to go into. Again, if it's a church ministry that we have present in our church, God will show you that. It is your purpose in life to serve God. Let my people go that they may serve me. Are you fulfilling the service to God? Or are we being allured by Egypt, by the things of this world who have we made other gods and we're serving them instead of serving? The God who made us, the God who died on a cross to save us. Are you fulfilling the service of God? Let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes.